If you are an Atlanta Braves fan, uh, you look a certain way this week, right? You, you act a certain, you carry yourself a certain way this week, right? Uh, 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 a way of happiness and joy and pride and almost disbelief that this really happened, right? You, you have high-fived people you don't even know this week spoken in the checkout line to somebody that was wearing a brave shirt that you've never even met. Right? There's a way you're easily identifiable, at least for the last five days. Easily identifiable, just, just the way you look. Uh, the, the scriptures teach us that if you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to look a certain way. I don't mean physically look a certain way or dress a certain way necessarily, but... There are going to be characteristics about your life that are easily identifiable as a follower of Jesus. We're calling it the way, right? The early believers were known as people of the way. They followed the way of their Messiah, Jesus. And and so we've been asking ourselves, what does it look like to walk in the way? What, What does it look like to live out the way of Jesus? And we said at the very beginning, Jesus is the way to start with, right? He said, I'm the way. And so beginning this walk in the way is to come by faith to Jesus, to trust that he's the son of God who lived and died and rose again for us and entering into relationship with him and our heavenly father and then beginning to be transformed into his image, starting to look more and more like him, sound more and more like him, see the world more and more as Jesus saw the world. This is the way of following Jesus. We looked last week at Peter, who said, part of walking in the way is exhibiting humility. Peter had that line, clothe yourselves with humility. You should put this on. You should put off arrogance and self-centeredness. You should put off uh, sinful pride, and you should put on an attitude of serving others. Uh, Paul said we should value others ahead of ourselves. We should consider others' interests, not just our own interest. Uh, we shouldn't always be number one. We, we should put other people uh, ahead of ourselves. And, and, and we looked a little bit at some words from James last week, but I want to I dive into some comments that James makes in his letter. James, like Peter, is close to the end of the Bible, so If you have a physical Bible with you, you don't know where it is, kind of start at the end and back up, you'll come pretty quickly to a small book called the book of James, written, uh, I know this is confusing, by a guy named James. That's who wrote the book. If there's a central idea to James' message, and and he weaves this all throughout this, this little book, it's this, what we believe should change how we behave. What we believe should alter our behavior, should change the way we interact with people, should change how we speak, it should change what we do, what we believe, should change how we behave. In James' understanding of Jesus, there's no room for agreeing with tenets or principles, or we might even say doctrine, uh, beliefs, there's no room for saying, yes, I agree with something, and then not actually living out the consequences of that belief. Those go together. Now, James couldn't conceive of a person who maybe they would show up for religious services or, 
or attend a specific church or join a church or or check the Christian box on the label whenever you have to fill out a survey. I consider myself a Christian. In James's mind, it was impossible for someone to do that, but then also not actually live out what that means. L- live out what it means to be a follower of Jesus. This is James 1.22, right? Close to the beginning uh, of this book. He writes, Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Don't just be somebody who takes in information. Be transformed by the word of God. Be transformed in the image of Jesus. Be changed. Outwardly, be changed. And, and he uses this word deceive often in his book. It's another one of his themes is that he seems to be saying there are a lot of people who think they're followers of Christ and they're not. And all you have to do is watch them. All you have to do is listen to them. Don't think you're a follower of Jesus and then not live it out because if that's you, you're fooling yourself. That can't happen. You have to be radically changed from the inside out when you're a follower of Jesus. Chapter 2, he's going to make that whole argument about faith and works or faith and deeds. Let me give you just a little bit of it as we, as we intro where we're going. James writes, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such faith save them? In other words, is that really faith? Do you really believe something that you don't live? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. Mere words don't mean anything, James says. It's like telling a hungry person, be full, and not giving them food. Like, it accomplishes nothing. Saying, I'm a follower of Jesus, but not actually living that out, James says, what good is that? Those can't coexist. Someone who truly follows Jesus will be changed. Now, look, our actions aren't a substitute for our faith. Our actions don't mean that our faith is unimportant. Faith will naturally result in action, doing something, becoming something, walking in a certain way. In James chapter 1, James gives a a short little barometer, and really the rest of the book is kind of him working this out in greater detail. But he gives a a brief scale. If you want to know where you are spiritually, if you want to know how how well you're walking in the way, here's a short little three-question quiz. This is not a comprehensive exam. This doesn't cover all of the areas of spirituality. There are a lot of other areas that are part of spirituality. This isn't comprehensive. Anybody have to take comprehensive exams at the end of one of your degrees? At the end of my master's degree, I had to take comprehensive exams. They could ask anything that we had studied from the past two and a half years, studied a whole semester to get ready for them to ask anything from our course of study. What James gives us is not a comprehensive exam. It's like a pop quiz. It's like, let me ask you a couple of key questions 
And if you don't get these right, then there's probably problems somewhere else too. Like this is just a little barometer. This is just a little pop quiz for you to take on your spiritual life to kind of see where you are. Here we are, James chapter 1, verse 26. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves. There's that word again. They, they deceive, they're, they're fooling themselves. And their religion is worthless. Pop quiz question number one. If you claim to be a follower of Jesus and you don't discipline your tongue, you're fooling yourself. You're not really following Jesus. James uses the word religion and religious here. Uh, we, we sometimes have a tendency to define those negatively, like formally or traditionally. James is using the word religion in its most sincerest form, meaning just your faith, your love for God, working itself out in your life. If you think you're that person, if you think that's you, you're, you're a faithful person walking in the way of Jesus. But if you honestly assess your life and realize you, you don't have any control over your mouth, James says something's wrong. You're failing this pop quiz already. Something is wrong. Right? Because the words and tone that come out of our mouth, they reveal the condition of our heart. The, the words we use, the way we communicate, the way we discuss even debate, even argue in the sense of, well, I, I have this position and you have that position. The way we enter into those conversations, the, the way we speak about other people, not only to other people, but the way we speak about other people. James says, look, this is revealing your level of faith. This is revealing what is happening in your heart. So be careful. Be careful to think that you're walking faithfully with God when you don't discipline your tongue. James spends a lot more time on this in chapter 3, and you can read it later. But right here, he just says, pop quiz, you want to know where you are in following the way of Jesus. Listen to what's coming out of your mouth. Listen to what you're writing and posting, communicating, and, and how you debate and how you discuss. L listen to that, and that is revealing what is actually happening in your heart. Don't sound like unbelievers. Don't, don't sound like in your discussion with other people, don't sound like someone who's never met Jesus, who've never, who's never come to salvation in Jesus. You should speak communicate differently. Then he gives a second characteristic. Religion that God our Father accepts, pop quiz question number two, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. This is just another marker. It's another characteristic of someone who's truly following after Jesus. One, they will have control of their tongue. Maybe not perfectly, right? None, none of us are perfect. We get emotional. We, we, we say things hastily, but we immediately know I need to apologize for that. I, I need to challenge. I, I need to let the Holy Spirit control what's coming out of my mouth. Maybe not perfectly, but the words we say are controlled by the Holy Spirit. And then secondly, we would, 
we would have a heart of compassion. You see, a heart of faith results in a heart of compassion for the hurting. James says, this ought to be happening if you're following Jesus. There should be a tenderness in your heart toward those who are marginalized and vulnerable and oppressed and victims of injustice, those who are left out, those who are homeless, those who are poor, those those who the system is working against. Your heart as follower of Jesus should become more and more sensitive to those people. Um, James chapter 1 is not the first time the Bible addresses this. This this is addressed all throughout the scriptures. Like when you read the Bible, if you start at the beginning and you read through, you're going to see this concept again and again and again. You need a heart of compassion for the orphan and the widow and the poor and the homeless and the foreigner and those in prison and those who are oppressed and those who are victims of injustice. Again and again, the Bible says this. Let me give you a couple examples. Deuteronomy 10, God is revealing the law to his people. God's telling his people, this is the way you're supposed to live. You're going to be separate from polytheistic cultures that you're surrounded by. This is the way you're supposed to live. And in Deuteronomy 10, we read, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribe. So this is the image of God, God of gods, Lord of lords. He's above everything. He's mighty. He's strong. He's powerful. Now, how does God use his power? How does God use his might? The Bible tells us. Next verse. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. Perfect um, Object lesson for the Hebrew children, they had just come out of Egypt. They were slaves there. They were oppressed there. They were victims of injustice there. They were um, uh, dismissed and overlooked there. And God says, you know what it's like for that to happen in your life. Why would you not be sensitive to those who are oppressed around you? Why would you not be sensitive to victims of injustice around you? You've been there. Now, we're a a long way from Egypt, right? But the message is the same. The message is the same. Look, your heart has got to be tender toward those who are vulnerable and marginalized. Your heart's got to go out to them. You've got to have compassion for those people. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 15. God says, When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. I don't listen to your prayers. Even when you offer many prayers, I'm not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. And and how does he define right? What do they need to start doing? Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. God said, you have a problem. And the problem is not what you know and don't know about God. The problem is not whether you're going to the temple and worshiping. 
The problem is when you go to worship, I'm not listening because you don't have a heart of empathy for those who are suffering. You don't have a heart of compassion for the vulnerable and the marginalized. James specifically mentions orphans and widows, and those are two specific groups throughout all time who have been the victims of uh, injustice. They've been oppressed. They've been marginalized. They've been left out. They've been vulnerable to people in power, right? But, but they're representatives of a host of people who fit into those categories. Uh, Douglas Moo, in his commentary on James, writes, The orphan and the widow become types of those who find themselves helpless in the world. So anyone who is oppressed, who, who, uh, who has no power, fits into this category. Christians whose religion is pure will imitate their father by intervening to help the helpless. Those who suffer from want in the third world, in other words, that's another category of people, in the inner city, those who are unemployed and penniless, those who are inadequately represented in government or in law, these are the people who should see abundant evidence of Christians' pure religion. The oppressed, the vulnerable, the marginalized, the victims of injustice. They, more than anybody else, should, should see Christ's people showing up on their side. Should see Christ's people speaking up on their side. And James says, if you're not, if you're, if you're not defending that group of people, wherever they may be found, whatever their label may be, you might be deceiving yourself as to whether you're walking in the way of Jesus. Here's what we learn from the Old Testament prophets in particular. Failure to empathize with and respond to the hurting has a destructive effect on our hearts. We we start to overlook the very people that Jesus served when he was here. We start to overlook the very people that God called us to move towards. We see it in the Old Testament because whenever a prophet spoke out about God's people moving away from God, the evidence was always, you've stopped caring for the foreigner. You've stopped caring for the orphan. You've stopped caring for the widow. You stopped caring for the poor. Here's the evidence that you are far away from the heart of God. Your heart doesn't empathize with the hurting anymore. Your heart isn't compassionate towards victims of injustice anymore. When we stop caring, our hearts immediately begin to start hardening. And when we can turn groups of people off in our minds... Or when we can blame groups of people for their plight. We have a a habit sometimes of deciding why disadvantaged people deserve being disadvantaged people. Or they lack motivation or they're lazy or they don't work hard enough or they belong to this group and it's their fault. The Bible says nothing about assigning fault when it comes to 
the hurting and the vulnerable. The Bible says, show up with compassion. Listen with tender hearts. Let your heart break for the people that God's heart breaks for. And there are many groups of people like that in our world. There are many hurting and disadvantaged and broken people. And it would be wonderful if Christians were showing up with pure religion in their lives right now. Uh, one of those groups, and James mentions them specifically, is, is the orphan. The Bible mentions this group uh, often in its teaching. Today, some of you know, today is Orphan Sunday around the globe. Uh, this is the 20th anniversary of Orphan Sunday, which was created really to just help the church keep this idea of caring for the vulnerable fresh in their minds. Don't, you make sure you're thinking about it. Don't let this completely fall off your radar. This has got to be out in front. And a leading voice in Orphan Sunday is a, an organization called Christian Alliance for Orphans. And a member of our church works with Christian Alliance for Orphans. His name is David Hennessy. Many of you know David. He has served with uh, Christian Alliance for Orphans or CAFO uh, for almost 10 years now. And since we're going to dive into this part of James' message, I, I wanted you to hear from David. And uh, so, David, uh, come, on, come on and join us. And one of the reasons I wanted you to hear from David is because we have at times talked about what God is doing locally to care for orphans and poor and disadvantaged. Uh, we have members of our church who lead and serve in ministries here locally. Christian Alliance for Orphans is a global ministry. And so I wanted to take today and remind us what God is doing around the world to care for the vulnerable. David, thank you for, uh, for joining me this morning on the platform. Uh, tell us a little about your organization and what, what they do and what you do in the organization. Well, thanks for having me. Uh, so I work for the Christian Alliance for Orphans. We are an alliance of over 200 respected Christian organizations that are focused on adoption, fostering, and global orphan care. Uh, my role is the director of the CAFO Global Network. So I work with Christian leaders all over the world as they develop local networks of churches, uh, nonprofits, public and private agencies. Um, I get to work right now with 53 networks in 47 uh, countries, and that uh, over half of those are in Africa, but the rest are in Latin America, uh, Eastern Europe, Asia, and North America. What is, uh, what's the main goal for your organization? And what are y'all trying to accomplish through these networks? Yeah, in a nutshell, it's to mobilize Christians around the world toward family care. And what that means is we really believe that every child should be in a permanent home with a mom and a dad. Uh, both science and scripture agree children belong in families. It's something we can just think, yeah, that's, that's really, really obvious. Children belong in families. There's, there's been studies that have shown that children do not... Uh, develop as, as quickly if they're in an institution, if they're in an orphanage or a children's home, as they do uh, when they're in a family. Uh, the church over the last 50 years has looked at the orphan crisis and said, let's build orphanages. And orphanages are good for a short term, but orphanages are not the solution. It's not in the best interest of children long term. For children to thrive, they need a, a loving and secure and nurturing family. Uh, 
so that leaves us with what is the church supposed to do? And the real work of the church to serve, to, to, to live out James 1.27 is really three things. One, uh, to strengthen biological families. We want to keep children with their moms and dads in whatever way that we can. Uh, we want to support foster and adoptive and kinship families. A kinship family is when an extended family member takes a child into their home. Uh, the, the local church can support those. And then we also want to recruit uh, families to become foster and adoptive parents and uh, recruit volunteers to be able to support those. That's a big task. Yes. Um, what, are, what are some of the challenges to fulfilling this mission? I, I would put it into one of the biggest challenges is in one word, and that's trauma. Every single child in care has had trauma of some sort. Uh, at the very least, they've been removed from mom and dad, and that's traumatic all, all, all at once. Uh, the thing that, one of the things that I look at and, and, and think about a lot is you hear people talk about rescuing a child, and I really don't like to use that word because uh, that doesn't really indicate what happens. We think about that, and we think that there's a child that's in a, in a pit of trauma and chaos and pain, and we think we're just going to lift that child up out of that and rescue them from that, and that is not what really happens. What really happens is that child is in a pit of trauma and chaos and pain, and for us to serve them, we need to step into that pit with them. And over a period of, of, of years, reach out our hand to get them to trust us enough to just take our hand. And again, that could take years. And once they're holding our hand, then we need to begin to escort them out. And that could take years or a lifetime of, of work. So we need to be supporting not just the vulnerable children, but those that are serving them, because that trauma and chaos and pain swirls all around us that are serving as well. And we're not immune to its effects. Yeah. We have Jesus Christ but we need that support of our local community and the, our local church to do that. Yeah, and I think about some of the families in our church who, who are fostering. Mm -hmm. uh, some have adopted out of foster care. Some have adopted through other means. Um, and there is that, that residual um, internalizing that or feeling the effects of that among the families as well and they, and they need support and care and prayer uh, yes. from from their church family and from their friends absolutely um, what what are some ways you're seeing this happen you you guys are focused a lot internationally and in building mm -hmm. networks that will that will bring children into families. What are some ways churches internationally are accomplishing this? I've seen some very interesting things. Like, did you know that a pig in Burundi can keep a child in a family? Obviously, everybody knew that. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. In, in Bujumbura, Burundi, uh, there's a church called Calvary Transformation Church, and they have a, a model that's pretty brilliant. They get groups... Uh, that they call solidarity groups. That's up to 30 families that are either struggling to keep a children in their family or they're caring for, for other children within their family. And these solidarity groups get together and they meet every single week. The church uh, provides one Bible for all 30 families, one Bible as they meet, and the church provides people to come and teach them the gospel of, of Jesus and teach them what, that, that God loves these children and God loves them. 
Uh, as they're meeting weekly, they also save money. There's a, they have their local savings that each family contributes approximately 40 cents a week into a, a community local savings. And then when one family has a project that they need some help with, they can take a loan from that group. Uh, if they want to uh, uh, plant tomatoes, uh, they can take a loan, get seeds, and plant those tomatoes, and then take the harvest, go to the local market, uh, and, and sell them for a little bit of funding or feed their, feed their own family. Uh, the interesting thing that Calvary Transformation Church does is they give each group of 30 families one piglet, a piglet. Uh, and what they do is they, they meet every week. They're taking care of that piglet as it grows. The intent is every family will have their own pig to start their own pig farm. But it takes up to two years for that to happen, for two years to have enough pigs for every family to have one pig. And you think, well, that's kind of crazy. Why not just give them all, all pigs? But that's not the point. The point is they're meeting every single week. They're developing this community. They have this community savings. They're, they're supporting one another spiritually. They've developed a community, and community is what keeps children in families. It's having people around you that love you and care for you. It's a brilliant model. Uh, I love the model of taking a pig, but it's about building community yeah. uh, around that pig. There's another really great example in Romania, uh, Petra Church. Pastor Alex Elia and his family lead this church. It's not a huge church. It's maybe 60, 100 people. Um, Pastor Alex has adopted several children. He and his wife has, have adopted several children. In the last couple of years, they adopted little Eric. Eric has some severe medical issues. Um, recently, uh, well, as they, they be, as they adopted, other families started thinking, well, we could do this too, and some other families began to adopt. Now, this is Romania. If you remember back in the 90s, that was the example of you know, horrible uh, orphanages, yeah. and adoption just is not part of their culture but they're changing that within the church. Just recently, uh, Pastor Alex and his wife had their, their son, Eric, at a hospital, and the doctor was commenting about how, what amazing progress, how well Eric was doing. And we see that a lot with children who've, who've been brought into a family is that they tend to, to, their health begins to get better. I'm not saying that happens with every child, but when in a loving family that can contribute to that. And while he said that, there was a nurse there that compared Eric to this little girl, Antonia, who was living in an orphanage. And the nurse said, well, what can you do? Some children will live and some will die. And that really hurt Pastor Alex to his core. He shared that with his church. Um, one family in the church literally could not sleep at night after that. And they came to Alex and said, that this child was made in the image of God. We believe this child is loved by God, and we love little Antonia too. And so they adopted Antonia, and she is now in a family, and she is thriving. Uh, beyond that, that church prayed to God to open the doors for opportunities nearby and to open their eyes to where are the needs in their own community. And since then, they've taken in several families. One is, is a mom who was on the street with her children, struggling to make it. They didn't have a place to live. Her goal, she wanted to have a, a small farm to be able to farm and provide a, not just sustenance, but whatever the children needed. And that church bought some land and built a house for this mom 
just a small church of 60 to 100 people, but they provided that for her. Now she has her own little farm that she is serving that family with. It's a matter of the church opening their eyes and asking God to, to, to help them see what the need is. Yeah, and that's important, the seeing it. You know, mm-hmm. the, the scriptures talking about Jesus said, Jesus saw the crowds and had compassion on them. And in, in our society, A, we're busy and we see our lives. And second, we see so many things. You know, our news feeds are full. The, the radio news, the television news, we're bombarded with here are all the needs, here are all the problems. And it can be real easy to get desensitized mm-hmm. to all of that rather than seeing and then asking, okay, what can I do? I can't solve everything. We, n- nobody here can solve the orphan problem across the continent of Africa. Right. But seeing a need and having a heart that's sensitive to it allows me to move towards some solutions for somebody. Um, wh- what are some things we can do? Um, we don't, most of us don't own a pig. and um, We could try that here. Many of us, we could try it. Many of us feel overwhelmed at the thought mm-hmm. of entering into this. Um, how, how do we start to do it? That's a, that's a really great question. Um, not everyone is called to foster or adopt. I want to make that really clear, but everyone can do something. And as you just heard, uh, James 127 and, and other verses, we're all called to do something. Um, you know, God even says that he is father to the fatherless. He sets the lonely in families. This is not just something we do as a church. It's who God is. It's part of his very DNA. Um, not everyone's called to foster or adopt, but some are. Uh, some of you may be sitting in here right now feeling that, that little calling, feeling that God may be leading you towards something. And, and if you do feel that, we want to help. If you're feeling that, let us help guide you along that journey. Let us help you decide if God is calling you uh, toward that. And there's families who've been down this road before and want to help you uh, along that way. Families in our church. Absolutely. You know, that, that can be a, a counsel and a, a sounding board for people who feel maybe God's leading us in that direction. Absolutely. Uh, beyond that, there are foster, adoptive, and kinship families that need wraparound care. They need this church. They need Journey Church. They're in this church that need you to wrap your loving arms around them. We have uh, care teams that, that, that are here. Journey Care Teams, they provide a small community around a foster or adoptive family. Uh, they, they bring a meal each week, but it's not about the meal. It's not about the food. Families can afford food here. Praise God, they can afford food, but it's about having somebody in our church that loves them enough to be able to go into their, their kitchen once a week or one family a, a, a week and go in and provide that listening ear. What's happening? Provide a shoulder to cry on. Uh, provide prayers, bring prayers back to the team. When something you're struggling with, everybody, we can come around them as, as a group. Uh, these families need people around them. They don't just need food, they need people. And we can do that. Each of you can do that. Yep, that's, that's excellent. 
Um, any other needs? Any other ways we can step in? Absolutely. There, there are young adults that have aged out of foster care or some young adults who are alone that need a, a mentoring family. <laughs> they need somebody, uh, not an adoptive mom or dad. They don't necessarily, they don't live with you, but they need somebody to call. Uh, you know, so like you have a, a, a young lady who gets a flat tire on the side of the road, doesn't know what to do. Who, who does she call? They need a family, somebody to call. And we've got a great, a great work with Connections Homes right here that can connect you with a young adult. And even within, within my own ministry, global church leaders need sponsorships to be part of our program. This doesn't happen for free. It does cost money to, to train leaders. We've trained over 1,600 leaders over this last year, but we could use your help in doing that. Uh, beyond that, if, there's, if any, of, any of this has kind of piqued your interest, if you think, wow, I want to really, really get involved, Starting in January, we're going to, to launch a community group that's going to talk about this. So whether you're interested in fostering or adoption or just want to support a family or just want to know what are they going through, how can I even, even pray differently for them, that's what this group is about. Please, you can, you can join our group starting in January, and we can spend a whole, a whole semester talking about this. Awesome. Thank you, David, for sharing about your organization. Would you thank David uh, this morning for the work that he thank does? You. James has one more thought in verse 27. One more part of the pop quiz. Are we controlling our tongue? Is our heart becoming compassionate toward the marginalized? And he writes, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. To keep oneself from being uh, uh, infected by a view that is anti what God wants for you. Anti what God is trying to accomplish that would lead you in a direction away from God. And one of the reasons I think that we struggle to control our tongue and we struggle to have compassion for the hurting is because we get polluted by the views of the world. Our perspective gets shaped by how the world sees these issues rather than how God sees these issues. Morally, we get infected, polluted by what the world is telling us than by what God has said in His Word. Our, our, the way we speak to one another gets shaped, gets polluted by a world that's moving away from God. Our, our heart, rather than growing in compassion and empathy, grows in callousness. Because we live in a world that labels everybody and groups everybody. That says, oh, that group, fill in the blank. Well, they only, they're lazy. They don't really want to work. They're, they're to blame for their own situation. We get polluted by the messages 
of 24-hour news rather than shaped in our heart by the compassion of Jesus who looks at people who are hurting, people who are left out, people who are oppressed, people who are the victims of injustice and having a heart that breaks for them. James says, don't be polluted by this world. It will grow calluses on your heart and your mind. Resist the pollution of the world. And resisting the pollution of the world doesn't mean that I separate myself from the world. It, it doesn't mean that I, I remove myself from the world. I, I resist the pollution of the world so that I can be salt and light in the world, so that I can be hope in the world, so that I can bring the message of Jesus to a world that desperately needs it, and specifically to people who feel they have no one on their side. Two people who feel they have no power in this world. Two people who feel like the systems of this world are at work against them because I resist the pollution of the world, because I walk in the way of Jesus, then I can step into their lives and be on their side and bring hope. See, the, the pollution of the world, the, the deception of the world is so subtle. Like we don't just wake up one morning and suddenly we view all of these issues as the world views them. It's just little by little by little. It's one article. It's one newscast. It's one talking analysis on the TV that just shapes my heart toward a callousness towards real people. James says, don't let this happen to you. Don't let this happen to you. See, individuals who need the love of Christ at work in them and stand on their side, speak up for them, be beside them. These are the marks. This is the pop quiz that James gives us. And we need to take this quiz frequently in our life. God, how am I doing in these areas? Does my life suggest that I'm walking in the way of Christ? And if not, I need to examine my life. God, I pray that you, you would soften our hearts. In a world filled with harshness and cruelty and rejection, a world built on systems of power against the powerless, that you would help us to be on the side of the vulnerable. You would help us in humility to serve the side where there's injustice and there's oppression. Help us to be the voice of the powerless. And so live out a pure religion in this world, one that is undefiled, one that is salt and light and hope and grace and love in a world that desperately needs it. Let us be those people who walk in the way of Christ. I pray it in his name. Amen.